and welcome back to the Things We Make podcast. I'm your host, Keen Angle from DeliverableCoaching.com, where we help marketers level up their deliverables. On the Things We Make podcast, I talk with the top thinkers and doers in the marketing and advertising world to uncover how they make it happen. On today's episode, I'm talking with multi-award winning technologist and maker, Lane Harris. Lane is the Senior Vice President of Technology at Big Spaceship and has created things like an off-roading, remote-controlled wienermobile, billboards that let photographers know when to get their cameras out for magic hour, and recently released an Alexa skill that sings songs to people while they wash their hands for 20 seconds. I'm super stoked to talk with him and hear what Lane has to say about the things we make. Let's jump in. Well, Sweetie, thanks so much for taking the time to come on, do an interview today. Really appreciate it. Thanks for inviting me to this. I'd love to start out with a quick question. Imagine if you wake up and it's 30 years from now. What is the first thing you would look up on Google? <laughs> I feel like, I don't know why this is my instinct. I'd, I'd feel like I'd want a phone. <laughs> <laughs> like a phone to call someone just a phone to like you know to kind of get started because i feel like you can do everything with a phone you know and it's such an essential part of being human now that i feel like i would be like i need to get a phone you want that navigation like that that anchor and i feel like our phone kind of do that for me and then, then i feel like i could do everything else it's really just in case I personally ever wake up 30 years in the future, I want to be able to say, okay, what would Lane do in this specific situation? <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of technology habits and all that stuff, let's talk a bit about your origin story. So what do you do and how did you end up doing it? Uh, essentially, I, I, I've kind of been all over the place. I'm kind of a jack of all trades type of you know personality and that is reflected in my kind of career choices and different sort of moves I've made. I actually went to school for graphic design because I, I think I'm instinctually a creative person. I want to be a creative person and I like making things. So I thought that was going to be my path. Turns out I'm actually not that great of a designer. But what that did for me is it really introduced me into you know more technology and stuff that I hadn't really been associated with before, particularly creative technology. And that kind of got me on that path. So strangely enough, I actually ended up doing something very non-creative. And I got into more like software development and working at places like Microsoft and Adobe and, and just doing things that were definitely more on the technical side of things, but always really wanting to be a creative person and doing more creative work. So at some point, you know, the world changed, things changed. I moved from Seattle to New York and I decided to really try to get back into doing creative work. And that's when I got into like things like multimedia and flash and in, a, in a, another strange turn of events, 2008 happened and you know, the world turned upside down at that, at that time period. And for necessity, I had to, to actually get back into having like a really you know, more of a paid career. <laughs> and I fell into advertising kind of full time. And so then that, that, that's when my sort of agency life kind of took off. So I ended up being invited a lot to creative, big creative, creative projects, like really exciting things, like you know stuff that hadn't really been done before. And if you think about it, just from you know from a time period standpoint, that was like the beginning of social media. So there's a lot of you know kind of interesting things happening, a lot of cool stuff with data and just how we're communicating with each other. That from a creative standpoint, I think there's a lot of opportunities, but there's also a lot of questions. Like people just didn't really understand how that stuff worked. And so I I really acted as that sage in that environment for really just translating what people wanted to do creative into something that's actually feasible from a technical standpoint and you know always just having kind of two feet in both worlds there so what drew you to technology there's a lot of other paths you can go as a creative why technology a, a mutual friend of ours brad alperin uh, you know 
he likes to point out the fact that the uh, root origin of the word technology is tools. Tools. I just love making things and building things and fixing things and, and the tools that are that enable you to do that. And so I think that that instinct to just go to something that helps you create something, whether that's a paintbrush or a, you know, a piece of code, it, it doesn't really matter to me. Just this idea that you could like do something with these incredible tools that are out there that, that I just always, always love. I think the funny part is that I'm not always good at creating things as much as I enjoy <laughs> doing it. I think uh, I'm almost better at understanding the technology. Do you find you need like an external spark to really get going like from someone else? Uh, I, I, I get inspired by Sparks for sure. It's funny, when I'm by myself and I just want to make something, usually my instinct is to watch a tutorial, like watch a how-to video, like, like watch somebody else like teach me like a new skill. And then once I have that new skill, then I want to do something with it. For example, lately I've been doing a lot of 3D modeling. I, I just think 3D is super exciting and interesting, and I think there's a huge future for it. So I've been spending a lot of time on it. And so I'll learn things like textures or something, like some really complicated way of creating like a, a texture that looks seamless, and no matter how large it is, there's not like repeating patterns or something. And like, oh well, that I want to try to create a desert. How do you, how would you create a desert? And and so I, I sort of challenge myself with, can I create something based on this new tool? Like I sort of challenge myself with those things so that I have it in my back pocket. This idea of a challenge, is that kind of a pattern in your career, would you say, in terms of can it be done and then ultimately figuring out, yes, it can? Oh, I definitely think so. Yeah. And I think that one of the reasons I think that a lot of people chose to work with me, maybe over you know other technologists that they could have had a choice to work with is that I, I get so excited about challenge. I get so enthusiastic about can something be solved that I feel like that's where my, that's probably where my superpower lies is just really jumping all over a problem and, until I'm absolutely satisfied that something can either be done or not be done. But, but whatever it is, I won't let that question linger. Thinking back over the last couple of years, the last decade or so of your career in the ad world, what were some of those can we do it, yes we can after type of <laughs> moments? <laughs> oh my God, there's so many. There's so many to choose from. I mean, there's definitely been a lot of fun ones. Like, for example, I worked on this project called Adapt Toys, which was a program for creating toys for disabled people. So so one of the essential ingredients of you know, raising a child properly is having like really meaningful play. Like play is really important. And if you're in a situation where you're unable to play with your child if you're going to have some sort of disability that doesn't allow you to do that. that. That's a huge problem for that family. And so we were trying to solve that problem. Like if, if you're in a situation where you cannot play, is there technology that we could create that would bridge that gap and, and kind of meet that experience? So there's a lot of different types of solutions. But in that particular opportunity, what we ended up creating was a couple of different toys. One of them was like a remote control car that you could control completely without using your hands. It was basically uh, like a headset that you could wear and it would use like a little straw that you could blow and suck into and that would actually translate to telling the car to move forward or backward. Mm-hmm. And then you could use just like slight motion with your head to like turn the car left and right. And so that was a, a solution that we basically were inspired by a lot of different things that we had seen like even the marketplace or the technology itself like that sip and puff system. But putting them all together was kind of our original idea. And that was kind of an exciting moment of just, wow, this was not a problem that I ever expected to have to solve. Yeah, very cool. So what was the weirdest challenge that a creative director came to you and said, we're thinking we kind of want to do this. And then you ultimately came up with something that was totally unexpected. (laughs) You know, to be fair, I I got a lot of those types of questions that we didn't solve, you know, just because the client didn't buy the idea or whatever. I remember at one point, I think I was working on Subway, 
and we had this idea that we wanted to make a website that was powered by vegetables. That was that was the uh, that was the ask. And and the funny thing about it, when the creative people that I work with, a they they sort of knew that they could come to me with a question like that because normally you wouldn't go up to somebody and go, "Hey, can you power a website by vegetable?" Like people just look like you're insane. <laughs> But I love questions like that. So I wanted to figure out, like, what did that mean? Like, what are you talking about? And so I sort of literally, I, I literally looked up things like potato clocks. So I was looking at things like that where I was like, well, can I, you know, take all these different types of vegetables? Is there things like the acids in like a jalapeno, for example? Does that, you know, <laughs> does that give me a certain amount of output? I was, I was really digging into this idea of creating like vegetable batteries for the purpose of like maybe running like a Raspberry Pi that would then actually host the web page. And then we could say that this website was, was hosted by vegetables. I loved it. I thought it was super fun and I got pretty far with it before uh you know ultimately the clients thought we were insane and we didn't move forward <laughs> plus it was sort of like what we're we gonna put on the website that that was also something that nobody even talked about we we're just like let's make a website it's a matter to say hello welcome to our vegetable powered website <laughs> yeah. thinking to some of the ideas that were sold in how, how does that happen how do you go from we want to make a vegetable clock is that even on the brief to dear client please give us, give us money for a vegetable powered website website, <laughs> even though that one didn't happen. You know, a, a good friend of mine said that I think we were, I was in a situation where we used to, we used to give awards to people who did like good work and it was you know, kind of a celebratory thing that we would do like in company meetings kind of thing. And this friend of mine, he was kind of in the back, he's a creative director and he was like, you know, this is, this is bullshit. And I was like, what do you mean? I was like, this guy did like an awesome job or whatever. And he goes, but so much goes into why work gets sold that is completely out of the control of either the, the idea or the creatives or the, the account people, whoever it is that are trying to make this happen. Like there's just so many different layers of reasons why something could either happen or not happen that celebrating the one person isn't fair because there's so many other people involved. And I thought that was, that was kind of an, like an interesting moment just to kind of reflect and realize how fortunate we are when we do get something sold. Who would you say is your, probably your most valuable partners in a process where you're trying to get something totally non-traditional sold in and put to the client? Oh, I, I think, you know, that takes a lot of stamina. It takes, it takes folks that are not willing to just give up on the first time that they hear no. And, and this is all different type roles. It, it's not really like one particular type of person. You might have like a really great account person that is willing to just bring back an idea over and over and over again until it gets sold. Or you might have a creative person that if they get a no from like one flavor of it, they tweak it enough or it feels different enough that they can reintroduce the idea or even a year later, they, they might try to reintroduce the idea again or, or hit it across different clients until they get one client that actually bites. It, it really is about perseverance. So thinking about the origin of a lot of these things, is this, do these come in as a traditional creative brief where a client goes, give us something crazy <laughs> or how do these things happen? Yeah, clients don't really ask for things for crazy things that often. <laughs> uh, I would honestly say that um, almost every project that I'm sort of known for was completely off brief. It was not asked for. It was it was because we wanted to make something awesome. You know, we wanted to make something cool, and we needed to find somebody that would buy it. Yeah. I'm not suggesting that people do that 100 percent of the time uh, for their career or anything like that. But having an entrepreneurial uh, motivated spirit to like just make cool things 
never hurts, right? Just go, just going in, going, I have a crazy idea. It may not be right for this client. It may not be right for this agency or whatever it is, but I have a passion for this idea and I'm willing to do whatever it takes to kind of see it through because I just really want to do this. That'll, that gets you really far. It gets you a lot farther than I think people realize. So in addition to perseverance, persistence, really not caring much about what other people think, what what other advice would you have to someone, maybe a young creative out there who has a crazy idea and they want to get it made? What do you think they should do? Well, I do think you have to put in the work. You know, I think a lot of people, lazy isn't the right word, but they, but they're not, you know, they're not always diligent about making sure that a it's a truly original thing or that something is actually feasible. You know, going out there and actually asking people questions, getting people to weigh in on stuff, you know, changing the idea, editing it. There's that nurturing portion of an idea that I think that a lot of people skip out on. And I've seen people who do it well, uh, and I've seen people do it poorly. And when people do it well, they just, it is a level of persistence, but it's also just constantly being curious and being excited about something and also just not getting bored of it. You know, a lot of times we get bored of our own ideas. We come up with something and then after a month of trying to make it happen, we're just sort of like, ah, forget it. And we, we're just like not interested in talking about it anymore. What do some of these lead times look like from, from concept to nurturing to first client meeting? What do some of these timelines look like? It, it really kind of depends. I mean, it, it, I worked on a program almost two years ago now for Westworld. It was HBO's Westworld. We wanted to do a voice skill for them. And we didn't have a lot of time. They were like running into their last season and, and we didn't have a lot of time to build what we wanted to build. So we literally just used the clock as kind of the mechanism for the impetus for, for making it, right? We, we, we got the client in a room. We already had some ideas that we were kind of excited about, but we wanted them involved as well. They wanted to hear about like ideas that they had. And we made it kind of this really collaborative, kind of no option type of scenario where like we knew coming out of the meeting, we had to have something. Or, or we would walk away with nothing. We knew they had the budget. We knew they had interest. So it was kind of a forced situation. It was like a forced march to, to get to where we wanted to be. And I, and I actually think that that situation, that sort of, you know, no option kind of scenario, creates more actual good work in my, in, in my career that, that I've worked on in times where you have these huge lead times. Do you prefer sort of that highly collaborative environment or are you more of a big reveal, ta-da kind of creative? I I love building on other people's ideas. I, I, I don't – clients are going to know their brands better than, than, I, than I'm ever going to know. For me to go in and say I'm absolutely right about my idea, I, I just don't think that's very empathetic. At the end of the day, it's better to have people have some skin in the game and actually be part of something. And so if a client can weigh in and be like, oh, you know, we were talking about this one actor, like that they wanted to do something and, and like and they had some ideas and blah, blah, blah. And then they, they bring that into the mix. That's when I get excited because then I know, A, they're invested but also it just ends up being better. You just end up with better work, more interesting opportunities. Thinking to account managers, the kind of front lines interface with the client, what is the off the books thing that they should look for to flag for potential opportunities? I, I think so much of that is based on personalities. If you have a because so much of this is political, right? Like if, if you have a client that is maybe really trying to make a name for themselves, like maybe they've gotten to a certain point in their career and they, they have this opportunity to go forward, but they, they really just need that shining moment, that's an opportunity. It has nothing to do with the brief. It has nothing to do with the brand. It's, it's purely like kind of a political moment, but it's 
those moments that that I think the really talented you know account folks that I've worked with recognize, and they go, you know what, based on my relationship with this person, or based on where they're at right now, I think that there is an opportunity for us, even if they're not asking for it. So speaking of paying attention to the opportunities, you have recently created something in response to what's going on globally right now, right? Oh, yeah. This is kind of fun. I work with a lot of different fringe technologies, but uh, I've done a lot of work on the Alexa platform and you know, working with, with voice and, and voice technology. And a friend of mine reached out to me and was like, oh, we should definitely do something cool with voice you know, as a response to like what's happening with COVID. And we, we were kind of going back and forth and he had this sort of like shower thought of we could do something like washing your hands and like some sort of hand washing skill. Like, what would that be? And we kind of went back and forth and, and I was like, well, the recommended amount of time to wash your hands by the CDC is 20 seconds. What if we did little, you know, little bite-sized things? I actually can't remember if it was me or him that said that. So on the tree, gets credited. Uh, his name is Daniel Brummer, by the way. He's awesome. But we were kind of going back and forth, and, and I was like, well, music could be great, but it wouldn't, it'd be kind of boring if it was just like the same song over and over again. You know, I think people get sort of tired of that stuff. And so together, we sort of came up with this idea of a jukebox that would have like a lot of different songs that were exactly 20 seconds long. And, and, and it'd be, you know, family friendly for kid friendly. And so knowing that, I, I reached out to a friend of mine named um, Lucy, she won that like a Grammy last year for for best children's album. So she's very connected in that music scene, particularly like with with children. And I just said, hey, do you like this idea? Like, do you anybody that might be interested in this? Like, do you have any friends like in, in your world that want to contribute? And I'm not exaggerating. Like, she came back. I think a half an hour later, and she had like 16 songs. <laughs> <laughs> like, and I think the point is, is that, that there were already all these musicians out there that were thinking of this. They, were, they, they wanted to contribute. They wanted to do something useful. So they were already doing things like creating these songs and putting them on Instagram or in live feeds and videos and stuff. So we're getting a lot of great response from it. People seem to really love it. it you know, 20 seconds is harder than I think you might realize. It's very difficult to do anything for 20 seconds nowadays. So having like a little guide, having like a little experience, like while you're doing this, especially something that's hands-free and it's easy to do, it's kind of a natural thing to just ask Alexa to, you know, to, to play you a song. So how can people get access to the hand wash jukebox? It's very easy. Basically, it's built into Alexa already. You just have to enable it. Because it is it has kid-focused content on it, Alexa has like a kind of an additional layer of protection where all you have to do is like go to like the skills store at, on Amazon and you can just enable it. Once you enable it, then you just say, hey, Alexa, open hand wash jukebox and she'll instantly start playing a little 20-second song for you to wash your hands by. So looking to the future, what are you most excited for, both personally and professionally? Well, I think that the world is going to be a lot different after what we're experiencing right now. I think for me, what I think is really interesting is the fact that we've been able to do our jobs remotely, like like working in locations where we're not in the same room. I think that what will come out of this is a whole new way of sort of communicating and working that I think that can be further enhanced and further improved upon. For example, like one of the technologies that I obsess over is augmented reality. I think augmented reality is one of those technologies that hasn't quite found a foot yet. But I think knowing that we're in, in interacting so much now with like through screens, adding an additional layer of digital content on top of like a Zoom conference 
seems like a very natural evolution to that experience. Super interesting. I mean, you got me pumped up over it now too. So that's awesome. <laughs> thanks, man. Well, anyway, I think that's just as good enough place as any to wrap up today's discussion. So Lane, thank you so much. This has been super interesting, super inspiring, and super insightful. So I really appreciate you coming on. Oh, thank you, man. That's it for today, everyone. Remember, if you are a fan of the show, don't forget to show your support by subscribing and leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts. To learn more about how Deliverable Coaching can help you create the best deliverables of your career, head to deliverablecoaching.com. Each week, we have new podcast episodes, videos, and articles to help you improve your deck writing, storytelling, and design skills. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.